this morning we're going to look at Josiah and one of the choices that he made. Now, if you've been here the last couple Sunday nights, you've seen a couple of choices that we looked at together that he made as a very young man. In Second Chronicles chapter 34, the Bible says that when Josiah was eight years old, he began to reign. And the scripture says in verse 3 that he made the, one, the most important decision in his life, and that was to seek after God. And then the second most important decision, secondly, that he made was to cleanse the land of idolatry. And his love for God, his heart for God, um, caused him to want to cleanse out all the stuff that inhibited his worship and the worship of the nation, nation of Israel for the one true God. A third decision that he made, and we're going to look at that this morning, um, or actually we're going to look at it more in depth tonight, but Second Chronicles chapter 35, and verse 1 says this, Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. And the Bible goes on to say in verse number 18, And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Josiah made a decision to keep the Passover, and the Bible says this about it. Nobody ever kept the Passover like that. And so you have to come back tonight at 5 o'clock. We're going to look at what did he do that made that, that God, that the Holy Spirit of God would write down that's the kind of Passover that you're supposed to keep. And uh, we'll, we'll look at that. But if we're going to understand the significance of the Passover that Josiah kept, I think it would be helpful this morning to look at the significance of the first Passover. And that's the one that God gave to Moses and that Moses and the children of Israel kept. And so, again, many of you would, uh, in, your, uh, in your Bible study, this is a topic uh, that you've studied. And, and that is uh, the picture of Christ in the Passover. That it, it, it's more than just ordinances and and uh, these physical things that, that Moses did, it was all a picture of what Jesus Christ would do for us when He came, and He is the real Passover. So um, let's pray together, and, and we'll dive in and, and look at the rest of this for this morning. Heavenly Father, I do want to uh, just bow our hearts before You and before Your Word, and uh, we want to thank You for it. Pray You'd help us, Lord, as we read it, as we study it this morning. I pray, Lord, that You would please speak to our hearts and help us to be uh, reminded and, and have our eyes open to just how amazing you are and these pictures that you have painted for us in the Passover, what you were going to do for us when you gave your life for us on the cross. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be um, more ready to serve you, more in love with you today when we leave than we were when we came in. And Lord, I do thank you for our pastor. I thank you for what you're doing in his life. I can think of others, uh, Ty and Diana, that are away on vacation. And just pray that you please continue to uh, watch over and give them safety. And, and lead them and guide them this week. And uh, but do Lord, I do, Lord, ask that you please help uh, me to communicate this clearly. I pray that you would, your word and your spirit would speak to us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Let me ask you, parents: Have you ever asked your child to do a task, and uh, you gave them instructions on how you wanted it done? And they, when you got back later, they did it, but it wasn't really how you wanted it to be done. Has ever you come across that? <laughs> Chad's like this week. Um, how many of you dads have a way that you mow the lawn? All right, yeah, <laughs> Bob got a big grin back there. Um, it, it was not. I won't say the person's name because they probably 
they wouldn't want me to, but uh, somebody helped. Uh, they, when we were away at camp, um, somebody mowed our lawn for us. And it was really nice. I came back and it was all in diagonals, you know. So I'm like, I did a great job with it. Um, because otherwise I wouldn't have been thankful that the person did it, you know, if it hadn't been in the diagonals that I wanted. Because when it comes to mowing the lawn, Shauna, how many times have you mowed the lawn in the 10 years we've been there? Like twice? <laughs> she said maybe. You know, she mowed it one time and, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't up to code. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many of you... You're the person that mows the lawn, and it's grass. You're going to cut it as long as it gets cut. It doesn't matter what kind of pattern there is to it. <laughs> Andy back there, all right, yeah, all the teenagers are like, yeah, man. <laughs> Got to talk to my dad about that. Yeah. God, when he instituted this ordinance of the Passover, there were very specific things that he wanted done. And if you remember, just like when he told Moses the second time to speak to the rock there in the wilderness... What did Moses do? He struck it again. It was the second time that he had struck it. And he marred a picture that God was trying to paint for his people. And here in the Old Testament, what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to come back to the Second Chronicles tonight, but there are two major passages where God deals with the Passover. Uh, the, one, the, first, the one we're going to look at this morning is Exodus chapter 12. So if you would go there with me, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. And this is where God institutes the very first Passover. And, and there's a very real consequence to the nation of Israel keeping and or rejecting this ordinance, this, this Passover. Um, now, go ahead and grab Exodus 12 there. And I also want you to look at, uh, get 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. And this is where we are, are going to see... As, as Christians who have a New Testament, a world of truth from the Old Testament has been unlocked for us. What you're going to see this morning, if you placed, if, as we read through Exodus 12, if you just pretended that the only book of the Bible you had was Exodus, there is so much spiritual truth that wouldn't be unlocked for you. And that's the way the nation of Israel was. God gave them the, the, a certain way to keep the Passover and that they knew that they would be delivered from uh, death if they kept that. And if they disobeyed God, they wouldn't be delivered from death. The Scripture, though, for us as believers, sometimes we uh, forget how much has been unlocked for us because we have a New Testament. So 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for us, the scripture here says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. And I'm not going to take the time to explain the context this morning, but I want you to notice this. The scripture says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So you see, for us as New Testament Christians, God has made it very clear. He's connected the dots and has said that Christ is our Passover. So everything that we see, as we read Exodus 12, we're sitting there going, oh, that's Jesus Christ. Oh, that's what Jesus Christ did. Oh, that's what the Lord did. But the nation of Israel didn't have all that information. But they could, they could know that if we obey God, we'll be delivered. And so I want us to look at this this morning. And then we're going to look at eight ways in which the Passover was a prophetic picture of Christ. We're going to look at eight ways in which the Passover pictured Jesus Christ this morning. So uh, let's look at Exodus 12. And we're going to read quite a few, a bit of the uh, scripture here. It says in verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, 
This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your account, uh, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. And in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened, in all your habitation, habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread." Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door. And will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye become to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That's such a moving verse to me. Because you think about... Parents, I'm sure you've done things, and your kids ask, why do we do that? And God wanted them to continually keep this ordinance, to teach their children. So the children ask, why, why are we doing this? Why are we killing the lamb? Why are, we putting the, why are we doing this with the blood? 
He said, I want them to know. I want you to show it to them. Verse 27, that you shall say, when they come to ask you, you shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshiped. And then the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. And it came to pass that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat upon his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. So if you remember where we're at, to bring you up to speed with where we're at in Exodus chapter 12, the you remember um, the Egyptians had enslaved the Jews for 430 years. They sat in slavery. And God raised up Moses to be a deliverer to his people. And Moses was to go in unto Pharaoh and, and, and ask Pharaoh to let uh, the nation of Israel go. And they were going to go worship God where God wanted them to go. And Pharaoh said no time and time again. And so God sent plagues. They were plagues of locusts, and he turned the river to blood. And uh, it did all of these signs and wonders in front of Pharaoh. And you remember that some of Pharaoh's, uh, some of the magicians around him were able to replicate the first couple of plagues that God sent. But there hit a point at which God shut that down, and they could no longer replicate the things that God was enabling Moses to do and the plagues that he was sending. And finally, God said, told Moses, gave him the, the, this institution of the Passover and said, Moses, you're going to keep this. You're going to put the blood on the doorposts. And where I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he says, Pharaoh will let you go. You see, the Bible says that God is able to abase those that are proud. He knew there was a point at which he would make Pharaoh submit. And so... Uh, th- th- those Egyptians, they don't have the blood on their doorposts. And, that, and the Lord goes through, passes through Egypt that night, and the firstborn in every house is slain. And Pharaoh is ready to push the Israelites out of his kingdom, saying, get out of here, because we're all going to die. So Pharaoh let the Israelites go, and, and we know the rest of what happened, how he changed his mind later on, pursued him, and God took care of him and his army, the mightiest army in the nation, in the Red Sea. But I want you to turn with me, hold your place there in Exodus chapter 12, and I want you to look with me, if you would, at John chapter 18. So I want you to think down through the centuries, down through the years, the Israelites had this Passover, and we see another Passover that became the most important Passover of all time. In John chapter 18, verse 28. Jesus has been arrested and is being led away here. The scripture says, John chapter 18 and verse 28, Judas has betrayed him. And uh, there's a band of men that has, has arrested the Lord. And verse 28 says this, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. 
Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Then I should not be delivered, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So when they played cops and robbers growing up, he was always the robber. Okay. Verse, just making sure you're awake, right? Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that, uh, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find in no fault in him. Then Jesus answered him, We have a law, and by our... Then the, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Then Pilate, therefore, heard that saying... When Pilate heard, therefore, that saying, he was the more afraid... You see in verse 7, the Jews were, they wanted Christ crucified because he claimed to be the son of God. And you can look at the scriptures. That meant he was demonstrating for them and claiming to be God. And they had that mindset. Well, we think of a son, we think of a lesser person, person that was born after the father. Jesus Christ claiming and demonstrating that he is the son of God. We have to remember that that means that he is God. They wouldn't have crucified him for claiming to be a lesser God. They wanted him killed because he claimed to be God. Verse 10 says this, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. It's interesting how many times somebody's salvation is in jeopardy because of their friendships. It's interesting. Verse 13, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, and away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. 
And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in the Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. To every soldier a part and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them. And from my vesture did they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, don't forget, these are Roman soldiers. They're not parting. They're not casting lots to try to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. They don't even know it. But God was making sure God was giving commentary, saying these guys were merely fulfilling what I had said would happen so many years before. Verse 25, Now therefore stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto him, his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation. If you remember, what was it the preparation of? The Passover. Because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. It's amazing to read the account and to be reminded of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who through his death, burial, and resurrection has provided a way for all men to be saved. And now that we've read Exodus 12, and some of you, you saw the pictures as you went through there. And the Holy Spirit was speaking to you already about it. Let's go back now and look at eight ways in which our Lord is a picture, the the Passover is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you might keep John handy, but look back at Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to go just verse by verse through this and look at the connections. Exodus chapter 12, the Lord told the Israelites with this Passover... In verse number 3, the scripture says, Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And in verse 5, the scripture says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. So the first picture is the Passover was a lamb without blemish. Was a lamb without blemish. The scripture, I've got these cross-references here for you. 
The Scripture describes Christ as the Lamb without blemish or without spot. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Know this this morning. Our salvation is not because of money. Our salvation is not because of some type of, uh, of, of amount of wealth that we may have accumulated. And it's not because of some tradition that we've held to from our fathers. If we're saved this morning, if you are, uh, have had your sins washed away and forgiven, it has been because you have been, uh, you've placed your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, the Bible describes gold. We looked at it last week, that riches make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle toward heaven. I'm glad that my salvation wasn't purchased with something that can be so easily done away with. The scripture says that the blood of Christ, it's precious. It, it, the, the, the value that the scripture places on the, on the, on the blood of Jesus Christ it, is limitless. It, it, it's invaluable. It, it's amazing the, the value of the, the blood of Jesus Christ. He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. The first Peter two twenty two on your handout says, who did no sin speaking here of Jesus Christ, neither was guile found in his mouth. Now, you're there in Exodus 12. If you look back with me at John chapter 18, we read there where Pilate, he kept trying to give Jesus back to the Jews so he could, he could be rid of the, his responsibility, so he could wash his hands of it. And physically, he tried to do that. You guys remember he went and he, he tried to wash his hands and said, I'm, I'm free from the blood of this man. He kept trying to give Jesus back to the Jews because he couldn't find any fault in him. John chapter 18 and verse 38 says, Pilate saith unto them, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Chapter 19 and verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And every one of us today... If we were to stand in a court of law, there might be some, uh, we might be able to stand with, with a clean police record. We might be able to stand with a good criminal record, but not one of us could stand before any human court and claim to be perfect, claim to have no fault, claim to have, have never lied, claim to ha have never uh, tried to uh, manipulate somebody for our own gain. They're not one of us, but Jesus Christ before any human court and before the, the, the God of heaven could say that in him was no fault at all. The scripture describes it this way, that, um, uh, that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. There was no sin in him. And so Jesus Christ, that Passover lamb, was without blemish. It was without spot. And that pictured the purity and the holiness the, of Jesus Christ. The second one, the second thing that the Passover pictured here, the Passover was killed in the evening. Exodus chapter 12, the scripture here, God told them, And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Shall kill it in the evening. If you look at Matthew chapter 27, we read there in, in John about the sixth hour, but if you look at Matthew chapter 27, You'll see here that our Lord was killed in the evening. Matthew 27 and verse 45. 
And look at some of the things that were said to Christ on the cross. Look at verse 41. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him and the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come now down, come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. And one of those thieves was very glad, I'm sure today, that on that cross he had a change of heart, didn't he? And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into the kingdom. And he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In verse 45, the scripture says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land unto about the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, uh, when they heard that, said, This man called for Elias, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let us let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And Jesus Christ, in the same way that for so many years, for so many centuries, that Passover was killed in the evening. It was merely a picture of what would happen to Jesus Christ. And they killed him in the evening. Number three, the blood of the Passover was to be put on the doorposts and the lintel. Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 7 says this, And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now this is one of those, that it, it, again, it is so cool. Isn't it cool as a Christian when you, you've studied the Scriptures for years? Maybe there are uh, accounts from the Bible that you've heard since you were a kid in Sunday school. And some new detail pops out to you. And for me this week, I had never seen this. I always thought they put the blood on the doorposts. And they did. But what did it take to get the blood there? How did they apply it? They struck it. And so they didn't, they didn't paint the blood on. What were they doing? You think about taking that, that blood and they were striking that post with the blood to apply it. An amazing picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of the Passover was to be put on the doorposts in the little. Uh, if you look at verse 22, the same thing here uh, of Exodus 12. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. The Lord, it pictures, the Lord was struck by man physically when, when he, on the, on the cross uh, and before the cross. Mark chapter 14 there says, And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy, and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. The, our Lord was physically struck in the face. And we know that he was physically struck with that cat of nine tails when, the, when Pilate scourged him. And, and, and you had that cat of nine tails that uh, the end of this whip that w- had pieces of bone and broken glass uh, uh, crafted into that whip. And as it would hit his back and he was struck, it would peel layers of skin off of his back. And our Lord was struck physically by man. But you know, ultimately, Jesus Christ giving his life, it was all in God's hands. And the scripture describes it this way. Look with me, if you would, at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I want you to see a couple of verses here. You think sometimes, you know, did the Jews crucify? You know, uh, what's his face? Has that book, Killing Jesus. Um, who wrote the book, Killing Jesus? Yeah, Bill O'Reilly. Um, wrote this book, Killing Jesus. Who killed Jesus? You want to know who killed Jesus? Your Bible tells you. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it the soldiers? Was it Pilate? Isaiah chapter 53 says this in verse number 
3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. You know who crafted the plan of salvation, that plan of redemption? That was God. And Jesus told Pilate, you would have no power on me if it wasn't given to you. And Jesus Christ told those soldiers when he, he came, they came to arrest him. They, they said, he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they fell backward. Because earlier in John 10, Jesus said, no man taketh my life. I lay it down of myself. And Jesus had the power to lay it down. And he said, I have power to take it again. No man can do that. And we know, our, we know Jesus can. So it was applied by striking. The Lord was struck by man, and we saw that in Mark 14. But the Lord was struck by God. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And Isaiah goes on to tell us why. With His stripes we are healed. The Bible says in verse 6 there in Isaiah 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He bore our iniquities. He bore our sins. He was smitten of God and afflicted. Exodus twelve twenty two. we read that about the hyssop. And uh, we, we won't take the time to turn there, but in John 19, when he said, I thirst, they, they lifted up that vinegar to him on a, on a hyssop. It was a reed of hyssop. Uh, again, an amazing picture there of Jesus Christ. So the Passover was supposed to be a lamb without blemish and without spot. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Secondly, the Passover was killed in the evening, and our Lord was as well. Then the blood of the Passover was to be put on the doorposts and the lintel, and it was applied by striking. And that's what it took. It took Jesus Christ being struck for that blood to be shed, and Christ laid down His life for us. But then the Passover was to be roasted with fire. If you would look at Exodus chapter 12, in verse number 8. Exodus 12 and verse 8, the scripture says, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now, I'll just mention it here, the unleavened bread. We saw that over and over again in the reading. We know that unleavened bread, that leaven is a picture of sin. That came up in that cross-reverence in 1 Corinthians where Paul says that Christ is our Passover and that you guys are unleavened. If you're saved, you're washed, you're cleansed. And he said he calls you unleavened. So there in 1 Corinthians, he didn't want leaven uh, in their lives. He didn't want sin in their lives. So they were supposed to eat it with unleavened bread, an amazing picture there. But they were supposed to roast it with fire. You know, Deuteronomy 16.4 says this, Neither shall there anything of the flesh... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Deuteronomy 16.7 says, And thou shalt roast and eat it in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. Notice with me, look back with me if you would at Matthew 27 again. This roasting, what is that picture? Well, that picture is Jesus Christ bearing the wrath of God for our sin. It is just incredible when you study all that Jesus went through in His sacrifice that He gave for us. I mean, just the physical, just, just for Him living. Uh, I'm sure as a Christian, you just get tired sometimes of living in this world. If, if not, you might need to you know, check that you're saved. But as a Christian, sometimes you just... You're done with hearing the cursing. You're done with seeing the immodesty. You're done with hearing about the filthy stories. You're just sick and tired of it. 
Now, can you imagine our Lord, perfect, holy, without spot and blemish, living minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, for 33 and a half years, around sinners. Just to, just to be around us. Think of the sacrifice of that. But then to be physically tormented through the crucifixion the way that He was. And we'll see this later on. There were other people that had been crucified on the cross. But no one suffered the wrath of God for sin on them when they, when they were crucified. And our Lord suffered that. In Matthew 27, the scripture here says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried in verse 20, uh, 46, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Emi, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, the Bible says that he who knew no sin was made sin for us. And you guys, we've talked about that illustration when we give people the gospel. That If you were to say, uh, this is me and, and this is sin and I'm all, I'm all just covered up in it when God looks at me. But Jesus Christ, He's perfect and sinless. Well, when He died on that cross and He cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? It was because in that moment, God made Him to be sin for me. So I could know, so uh, he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Not only did Jesus take away our sins, but He gives us His righteousness. It's a complete swap. Um, amazing what our Savior has done for us. And in that moment, He was he faced the, the wrath of God. And you remember in the garden, He prayed, right? That the Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But he said, if not, thy will be done. He was about to drink that cup of, the, of death and the wrath of God that, uh, th- that we owed for our sins. So the Passover was to be roasted with fire. And then, fifthly, the Passover was not to remain until the next day. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, another picture here of what happened with our Lord. Exodus chapter 12 and in verse 10, the scripture here says, And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which which remaineth of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. If you look at verse 25 of the same chapter, the scripture here says, And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. Um, Did I say 25? It might have been 45. Did I get my reference wrong? Yeah, there's another spot there. I I wrote the the number down wrong, but there is another uh, spot where... Um, it says this in Deuteronomy 16. It says, Neither shall there anything of the flesh which thou sacrificest the first day at even remain all night until the morning. You want to see how in control God is? Look at John chapter 19. We read it a little earlier. John chapter 19 and verse 31. You know... Um, there are times it, when you're watching a TV show or times in a movie where the camera will split and you'll see uh, something going on over here that is occurring at the same time over here. You know, you might have a scene where um, somebody's child is in a car wreck here or uh, I've seen this in, in uh, like a, a war film where somebody is in a combat zone here fighting when back here somebody's having a funeral service and it's going on at the same time. You know what I'm saying? You've seen that. 
I almost as I read this, pictured that happening with the Passover at this moment. That they, they had all this preparation going on with the Passover, and they completely missed what God was doing over here. Because for centuries and for years, God said, when you, you're, you're going to give the Passover, and this is how you're going to do it. And you're going to strike the doorposts. And, and I can imagine that they would uh, take, and, and as, the, as they... they as they killed that lamb and the blood was shed, I can just picture over here God working that amazing plan of redemption and the blood of Jesus Christ being shed over here. You get what I'm saying? Where you almost see this happening at the same time and the Jews over here, they're just missing it. And as a Christian, we get to look back and see both of them and how wonderfully the Lord pictured what was going on. Well, this... I can't help but think about how as they were prepared for the Passover, they were taking down these sacrifices... And God says, over here, there's a sacrifice that I'm going to make sure gets down before the next day. And in John chapter 19, verse 31, the scripture says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. And what did they do? Well, they took him down off the cross before that night. And it was an amazing picture all through those Passovers. We're not going to leave the sacrifice up overnight. And that was what was going to happen to our Lord. So the Passover was not to remain until the next day. And then number six, the Passover was to be eaten in haste. The Passover was to be eaten in haste. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, this is, this is an interesting detail. And you've got to come back tonight. Josiah, he gets this detail. It's, it's fascinating. Verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite the firstborn, and I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. What did he say? You guys are going to observe this Passover, and when you do it, you're going to, have, you're going to be ready to walk out the door. You're going to be ready to go. Because I'm going to come through, and judgment is coming. That's why you've got to eat it in haste. And not only is judgment coming, but I'm going to preserve you through the judgment, and I am getting you out of here. That's an amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this. The judgment of God was coming, and they were going to be delivered quickly. What better place to be right now in this New Testament age than to be saved, where God's judgment is coming quickly, but you and I are going to be delivered from it. The scripture says this, if you would look in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll never forget, when I was 16 years old, Brother Dave, one of the first times he came, uh, Brother Dave McCracken, we're going to hear him Tuesday. He preached this passage, and I'll never forget you know, uh, that message. But it says in verse 1, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Look at verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water, and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
Why? So God is outside of time. It's all the same to him. Um, it is impossible for God to run on Brynick time. Right? He cannot be late. A couple of you got that. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. What an amazing passage. The, there were people that were walking around in Noah's day that said, there's not going to be a flood. Everything's going to continue as it has continued. Then one day, God opened up the heavens and the floods came down and He broke up the debts and God judged this world and saved Noah and his family in the ark. And in the same way, there are people today that say, God is not going to come down here and judge people and burn this place up with fire, you bunch of hellfire and brimstone type preachers. I can't believe you're such a Bible thumper. And there are people that walk and scoff. And we feel like, God, if you would just hurry up and come back, he'd shut his mouth. <laughs> but our Lord, aren't you glad that God is long-suffering? Aren't you glad that God gave you more than one opportunity to hear the gospel? Because if I'd only gotten one opportunity, I probably wouldn't be saved. But God is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants every man, woman, boy, and girl to hear about Him. He wants them all to respond to His creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day other speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And if they will respond to that light, God will give them more light. He'll send missionaries. He'll, he'll burden the hearts of people to get the gospel, to give money so people can go to hear the gospel. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Israelites were supposed to eat that in haste. And it reminds us of a judgment that is coming, but will be delivered if you're saved. If you know Christ is your Savior. If you would, Acts 17, 30, I gave that to you. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and he hath raised him from the dead. Um, can I give you a cross-reference real quick? Um, some of you, maybe this summer, you've had a, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness come by your door. Can I give you a reference right here to write in your Bible that would help you as you talk to a Jehovah's Witness? Because what the Bible just said is that God is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man that he raised from the dead. Can we? Uh, let me give you... Uh, so if you would write this in Acts chapter 7, verse 30 in your Bible, next time uh, Jehovah, you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, you can show this to them and just ask them about it. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. And then get... Get Psalm 9, verse 8. And that'll be the cross-reference you can write there. So you might in Psalm 9, 8, write the Acts chapter 17. Oh, man, this is... is You excited? Might have to wake back up for this one. All right. Psalm 9, verse number 7. But the Lord, all right, 
So you can show that to him. That's the Lord Jehovah, right? Yes, the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. So that's Lord Jehovah. Jehovah's going to judge the world in righteousness. Uh, who's the one doing the judging in Acts chapter 17? The Lord Jesus Christ. seems to me that the Scripture is identifying Jesus Christ as the Lord from the Old Testament. They're the same person. Jesus Christ is God. He is the one who will judge the world in righteousness. And amazing, the deity of Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 17 and verse in, in Psalm 9 there. Um, Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. God keeps His appointments. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, don't wait another day. The judgment of God is coming. So the scripture says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So we've seen how in so many, uh, so many ways here so far, the Passover has been a picture of Christ. Uh, number seven, the blood of the Passover delivered the Israelites from judgment. Verse 13 there in Exodus chapter 12. Scripture says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That'd make a good song. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. We sing that hymn. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. You know, it's so cool being saved. Nothing can wash away the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've gotten out into sin. Maybe, you know, you don't know what lies ahead. And, and don't ever forget that nothing can wash away the blood of Jesus Christ. There was not, I've heard a song, it's a, I think it's a Southern Gospel song, but there, there was not one little Hebrew boy that had to worry about rain coming and washing away the blood from the doorposts. There's no account of that in the Bible. God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And in the same way that Noah got into that ark and God saved him, God will keep his word. And if you, are, if you know Christ as your Savior, you will be delivered from that judgment. And then I thought this, uh, the, the last one, number eight here, none of the bones were to be broken. There in verse 46, if you look at Exodus chapter 46, and this is kind of an interesting one to end with, but it was later in the, ch in the chapter. The scripture says, Exodus 12, In one house shall it be eaten, though thou shalt not carry forth out of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. Now, this is amazing. I said it earlier. There were other people throughout human history that had been crucified on a cross. But no one died the way that Jesus Christ did. Because He's God. God said, not a bone of Him shall be broken. And the cross reference there, Psalm 34, 20, the Scripture describes, He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. No one ever died in the way that Jesus died. Yes, others have been crucified before, but no one ever demonstrated their deity in the way that they died. Notice this with me. Look at John chapter 19 and verse 36, and then get Mark 15, 39. John 19 and Mark 15. In John 19, verse 36, this says, For these things were done, that the Scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of Him shall not be broken. But notice what happened. Notice the account in Mark 15, verse 39. Um, 
we'll go to verse 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. You see, how many people had that centurion seen die? How many crucifixions had he witnessed? And he said, when I saw him commend his spirit and give up the ghost, no one had ever done that. That earthquake happened and that, that veil was rent in twain. And he said, truly, this man is the son of God. And they were coming by breaking the legs of the other two. But when they came to Christ, he had already given up the ghost. They said, don't break his legs, just bring him down. And that man's conscience, I can only imagine the Holy Spirit driving that point home for the centurion that nobody had ever died like him. Something was different about him. And it's because this was God who gave his life to redeem us. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 says, There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. Yet Jesus Christ, when it was time, gave up the ghost. No man can do that. Well, Jesus Christ isn't a man. He is God. 100% man, 100% God. What a Savior. And in that picture of the Passover that Josiah kept, We'll see tonight, you know, he kept the details, but, but he, didn't, he didn't understand it all. He didn't know that this was going to be God incarnate, giving his life for us and shedding his blood so we could be redeemed. But as Christians, we get to see that Christ is our Passover. Are you encouraged by that this morning? What an amazing Savior. What an amazing picture. You know, that beats every book, movie, everything ever made. God's plan of salvation is greater. What an amazing Savior. But I want to ask you this question. Will God pass over you? In that day of judgment that's coming, will God pass over you? Will He see the blood? If not, come and talk to us today after the service. We'd love to show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. How you can have your sins washed away and forgiven and, go and spend eternity in heaven and have God pass over you in judgment the way He did for the Israelites. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your love and thank You so much, Lord, for being uh, the Passover for us.